0: Going to talk today from Revelation 20, and the subject is the millennium. There are two main views concerning the millennium. The first view is that the millennium occurs before the second coming of Christ. This is called post-millenniumism. This means that the earth and the world are going to get better and better and better and when virtually everybody has been converted to Christ. After the millennium, Jesus comes to receive the kingdom of God. This view was tremendously popular during the last century. Most folks, most Christians during the last century believed that things were going to get better and better in the the world, and even the earth would be renewed by the power of God and then Jesus comes after the earth has been basically restored by the grace of God. This view is not so popular today, because it appears in the world today that things are not getting better and better, the things are getting worse and worse. Then there is the second view, which I believe in, and that is that the millennium occurs after the second coming of Christ. This is called pre Millennium-ism. This is the idea that things are not going to get better and better, but things are really going to get worse and worse. And when things have reached a tremendous climax, Jesus is going to come and then the thousand years is going to commence. This view that believes that the millennium occurs after the second coming of Jesus is believed basically by dispensationalists and futurists. I'm not a dispensationalist and I'm not a futurist. But this view is very popular among my wonderful Christian friends who call themselves dispensationalists and futurists. The most common idea is that the the rapture is going to occur and the rapture is a secret thing. And Jesus comes and raptures the saints home to glory. And then there comes the reign of the Antichrist, and the saints are safe home in glory, but the great Antichrist uh, rules the world and persecutes the Jewish people. Uh, I spoke about that some weeks ago. And if any of you dear folks want to get that video, there is a video which we have produced on this subject entitled, The Rapture and the Great Tribulation. I do not believe in the doctrine of the secret rapture that has been made so popular by, by Hel Lindsey and other other writers. I do not believe it because I do not find mention of it in the Holy Word of God. And while I disagree with the dispensationalists and the futurists, I agree with them wholeheartedly that the millennium follows the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say, before we go any further, I believe in tolerance. I do not believe that we should damn a person because we disagree with that person. Because the idea that the second coming of Jesus is after the millennium has been taught by some of the greatest Christians and some of the greatest Bible scholars that the world has ever seen. But just because a person is a good person and a great Christian doesn't mean that he has great theology, you see. But I believe that we ought to be tolerant of the views of other people who disagree with us. I received, and I don't often receive letters like this, but I received a letter this week in the mail that said, I disagree with the format of your church service. I disagree uh, with something else in the church. I disagree that you're hiring a building that has a cross in it, and therefore I believe that you cannot possibly be a Christian. That reminds me somewhat of the spirit of the inquisitors who burned people at the stake because they were different, and I believe, I say it very courteously, that when a person says, you are not a Christian because you don't see things exactly the same way as I do, and you don't worship exactly the same way as I do, that is exactly the same spirit as the Inquisition. I want no part with it, my friend. Uh, When I was in Australia, and Beverly and I were looking after a wonderful church in South, New South Wales, just north of the Victorian border in the city of Albury. We ran a series of meetings and a man came to the meetings and uh, he became an elder in our church. And he and his wife were some of the most wonderful Christians I've ever met anywhere in the world. Mr. and Mrs. Boy, Lord help me. Mr. and Mrs. Muller. Mr. and Mrs. Muller. I was going to say Mueller, but it's Mr. and Mrs. Muller. And he came to me and he said, Pastor Carter, uh, I used to be a bygotted Lutheran. A bygotted Lutheran. I thought, you know, that's another one of these crazy American religions. Uh, a bygotted Lutheran. And he said, but uh, by the grace of God, I am no longer a bygotted Lutheran. You know what, he was an old German man. You know what he was saying? Bigoted Lutheran. He said, I used to be a bigoted Lutheran. I said, you don't need to be too embarrassed because I know lots of by Baptists. And in fact, I happen to know lots of by Adventists. But by the grace of God, my friend, we ought to rise above bigotry and stop criticizing people and putting people down and judging them and playing God because they don't think exactly the same as we do. And so whether a person agrees with me today on the doctrine, this great truth on the millennium, we should not condemn that person. I should not condemn him. Uh, One man said, this is something we should never forget. He said, our little systems have their day. They have their day and they are gone. They are but broken lights of thee, and thou, thou, O Christ, art more than they. And when we get to the kingdom of God, by the grace of God, we are going to discover there are lots of people in the kingdom of God who did not see things exactly the same as we see them theologically. You know of uh, the great John Wesley, who was a staunch uh, Armenian, that is, he believed in freedom of choice and freedom of will. His closest friend was George Whitefield, George Whitfield, perhaps the greatest preacher in the history of the world since the days of the Apostle Paul, and George Whitfield was an advocate, a strong advocate, of the doctrine of predestination. He believed that God from all eternity had predestined those who were going to be saved and those who were going to be lost. And you say, how could a person ever believe such a ridiculous idea? I would suggest that you try reading Romans 9, 10, and 11 before you criticize people who believe in predestination, a doctrine that I do not believe in, because I believe it is based upon a misunderstanding of Romans 9, 10, and 11. But John Wesley and Whitfield had an altercation over their theology on how people are saved. Did you know this? That some of the greatest preachers and some of the greatest theologians had believed in Calvinism, including the great Spurgeon. And because they disagreed a little, their friends inflamed it into a fight. And Whitfield and Wesley had a falling out over Arminianism and predestination. And when the great silver tongued orator, George Whitfield died, Wesley was asked to take the church service, and he said marvelous things about him, as well he ought. And after the service, a nosy church member came and said, Mr. Wesley, I know that you had to say those things in public, but do you really believe that you're going to see Whitfield in heaven? He said, certainly not. Oh, she said, I expected that you were just saying those things. How could he be in heaven because he was a Calvinist? And Calvinists are damned because they think differently to us. He said, ma'am, I do not expect to see Whitfield in heaven because he'll be so close to the throne of God and so covered by the glory of God and I'll be with the great multitude on the outskirts and I don't expect to see him in heaven. And so there are many people that I don't expect to see in heaven. I don't expect to see Calvinists in heaven. I don't expect to see people who are dispensationists in heaven. Because some of them will be so close to the throne of God. So away with pettiness and bigotry and let us not be bygotted Lutherans or Baptists or Adventists. Can you say amen? Amen. Mm, That's good. Please notice Revelation 20. And as the Anglicans say, here endeth the first lesson. Just the first part now. Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 20. Somebody said the Catholics are purgatory, or purgatory, but we go to John Carter's sermons, and they're always long. Revelation 20, verses 1 and onwards. Now this chapter follows chapter 19 that talks about the destruction of the beast, the Antichrist. This chapter talks about the destruction of Satan himself. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. That is the same word for the bottomless pit. It is the same word that is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that refers to the earth in its uh, stage of dissolution before creation. The earth was without form and void, it says in Genesis. And so it talks here, it describes the earth when the earth is destroyed by the power of God. Uh, Having the key to the abyss, the bottomless pit, that describes the earth during the millennium. Holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. That's the millennium. The word millennium is not found in the Bible, neither is the word trinity, but the concepts are taught. Bound him for a thousand years, he threw him into the abyss, the bottomless pit, locked it, sealed it over him, to keep him from deceiving the nations any anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. This is a wonderful, wonderful chapter. And here we have a reference to the Day of Atonement, because on the Day of Atonement, at the end of the Day of Atonement, the high priest took the the scapegoat, or and he was taken and sent away into the wilderness, into a place that was not occupied. And so at the very end of time, after Jesus comes, a strong man is going to take hold of Azazel, Satan, and he's going to be led away into the wilderness where he will spend a thousand years. Now, I'm going to come here to the blackboard and I'm going to draw up the time period that will represent the one thousand years. This is, of course, the commencement of of the thousand years and this line over here will represent the continuation, and the flowers will represent the bottomless pit. And so the Bible says that during the thousand years, the Bible says this, it says that Satan is bound. And and the Bible says that Satan is bound in the bottomless pit which is a very colorful expression, and it simply means a place of of complete confusion and desolation. And during the thousand years, the Bible says, Satan will no longer have the ability to tempt the nations anymore. And this is why it was believed in the last century, because Satan was bound in the bottomless pit, and the earth was the bottomless pit, and because Satan could no longer tempt, of course, There were millions and millions of conversions, and the gospel was preached, and the whole wide world was converted. The Bible, of course, nowhere teaches this fanciful idea. Uh, Now, what we need to discover basically is this, and this is not hard to do. It's relatively, relatively simple, dearly beloved, to do. It is to discover when the thousand years commence, when the millennium Starts and when the millennium closes. And it is not very difficult to do. While this subject has been a fruitful field for speculation, this truth that we're going to outline today is very, very plain if we have open minds and open Bibles and do not cling too fast to tradition. Notice uh, verses 4 to 6, if you don't mind. Revelation chapter 20. And verses 4 to 6. And this will tell us very plainly when the millennium commences. Revelation 20 verses 4 to 6. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. Now we're going to see that this is a reference to the saints of God, the people who are given authority to judge the world in righteousness. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus. Uh, The word soul here is exactly the same word for person. It means a person. I saw the persons of those. When the Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It means if he loses himself. This is not talking about a disembodied spirit. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands." Let me ask you a question. Does this seem to indicate to you that the church of God is going to be on the earth during the final crisis? Does it seem to indicate this? Do you not know? It is as plain as the nose on your face because the people who don't get the mark of the beast and who don't worship the antichrist are the saints of God. And the Bible says, here are the saints of God, and the Bible says something happened to them. What happened to them? They were beheaded for the word of God, and because they didn't worship the beast, and because they didn't get the mark of the beast. The Bible tells me now, listen to this, because it may make you tremble. The Bible teaches that the greatest test for the church is still to come. What occurred to the church during the dark ages, when millions were put to death, is going to be repeated for a short time in the last days on a worldwide scale. The greatest test for the church of the living God is still to come, and the church will not be raptured home to glory. The church will be right here upon the earth. I say to you, my friend, because you are the best, if a little bit of rain keeps a person away from church, I think he's not going to be ready for the coming of the Lord. This is my earnest opinion. The Bible tells us that the church is going to go through the fire. And the Bible says that the church is going to suffer immense loss of life. It talks about people who were beheaded for the word of God. Some of my friends tell me that there will be no martyrs because Jesus is going to save his people from martyrdom. Haven't you heard this? They say, uh, you know, it's going to appear as though the church is going to be persecuted and people are going to be put to death, but Jesus is going to interrupt it. Well, I don't believe it. That's a part of the easygoing religion of popular theology that says no suffering. But the Bible says that the church in the last days is going to be placed again upon the rack. The Bible says, here are the souls of those who were beheaded because of the word of God, and they didn't worship the beast, and they didn't get the mark of the beast, and the mark of the beast today is not a test, it is still in the future. So I say to you, the biggest days for the church as far as the test is concerned the biggest day for that is still to come. And that is why I urge you with all my heart to grow in grace and to be strong and to read your Bible because the day is going to come when this strikes the church and we're going to see the vast majority give up their faith in Christ. Jesus said, many are called and a few are chosen. And Jesus said, Endure to the end because most people are not going to endure to the end because their faith has been simply based upon emotion and upon a convenient religion. But the Bible says that in the last days, a multitude of the people of God are going to be put to death. And so I say to you today, let us be strong in Christ and study the Bible and grow in grace. Let us be strong in Christ. Now read on please. Verse 4. I saw the souls, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark in their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ A thousand years. What does that tell you? Come on, let's have a little feedback from this audience. What what does that tell you about the saints of God? Does it mean that because the saints of God have been put to death, does it mean that they're finished? Hmm. The Bible here draws a picture of the saints of God in the last days who were put to death because they wouldn't worship the beast. And they didn't get the mark of the beast. And the Bible says they came to life again. And they reigned with Christ a thousand years. Therefore, look at it. The millennium of a thousand years commences with a resurrection. And what resurrection is it? It's the first resurrection. It is the resurrection of the righteous. The Bible teaches very plainly, clearly, and distinctly that there are two resurrections. And we're going to see... They're a thousand years apart. And if you don't come up in the first, you're going to come up in the second. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark in their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Who would the rest of the dead be? Come on, think it through. This is the resurrection of... Of the righteous. This is the resurrection of the saints. This is the resurrection of the martyrs. But the Bible says. The rest of the dead live not again. Until the thousand years were finished. There is the second resurrection. That is the resurrection of the wicked. And so there are two resurrections. And if you don't come up in the first resurrection. With the righteous. Let me write it here with the righteous, those who are, de- uh, who are declared righteous through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says there is the first resurrection, and these people come to life again, and they reign with Christ for a thousand years, but the rest of the dead, all the wicked, live not again until the thousand years are finished. Now listen to this. This is the very truth of God the Bible teaches that there is going to be a resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. The Bible teaches that every person is going to live again, including the person who is watching this television program. You are going to live again, and you're going to come up in the first resurrection, or else you're going to come up in the second resurrection. But the Bible teaches every person here in this church, every person in the world is going to be resurrected. And you can walk out of the church and you can say, well, who cares, it doesn't matter. When I die, I die, and that's the end of me, my friend, that's not the end. The Bible says, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. So notice the text. Verse verse 6, verse 5, The rest of the dead, that's the wicked, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. That's the second resurrection. And then referring back, it says, this is the first resurrection. That goes back to the verse before, and that's why the translators have put uh, those brackets around that part of verse 5. This is the first resurrection. Who comes up in the first resurrection? Notice verse 6, it tells you, blessed and holy are those who have part in what resurrection? in the first resurrection, so it makes it plain, blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and will reign with Him a thousand years. The Bible says the saints of God will not be overcome by the second death. The Bible also makes it very, very plain that unless a person is born twice, he is going to die twice because a man outside of Christ is going to die in this lifetime, but the Bible says he is going to be raised in the second resurrection and he will die the second death, which is the most fearful of deaths when the soul is separated from the Creator God. And the question that you and I ought to ask ourselves today is this, if I were to die today, will I come up in the first resurrection or will I come up in the second resurrection? Jesus said, the hour is coming when those that are in the graves will hear his voice and they'll come forth, some to everlasting life and some to death. And Daniel said, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now the question that we need now to answer is this, and then everything gets plain. The question is this, when are the righteous resurrected? Because if we can discover when the righteous are resurrected, then we will also discover when the millennium commences. Please come with me in the Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And it is verse 16, page 837 in this version of the, of the Scriptures, in the New International Version, that we use here at present because it is accurate, it is, uh, it is readable, it is a faithful translation of the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. Uh, Some people have asked me about translations of the Bible, and they say, what about the King James? Wonderful translation. Uh, A little dated because it was translated in 1611. It was the great translation of the Church of England, a wonderful translation. The New King James Version, I use it all the time, a great translation. Uh, this, This Bible the new international version, some say one of the finest translations available. I want to say this to you, be careful of any organization that produces its own Bible. Did you hear what I said? Be careful of any organization, be careful of any so-called Bible that is basically an expression of the views of the the people who are the so-called translators. Be careful about that. Let us know this. This is the supreme authority in the church. Our authority is not the writing of the church fathers. I've got people who come to me and they say, but don't you know, Pastor Carter, some of the church fathers in your own church disagree with you. People who lived 150 years ago. I say, it does not matter to me if they disagree with me if I agree with the Bible. Because my authority is not the teaching of the Church Fathers or the authority of the Church Councils. The the only authority in the Church is the Bible. And I would beware of any person, my friend, who tries to convince you to believe something, not on the authority of of the Bible, but on the authority of other writings. Jesus said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I urge you to read the Bible. I urge you to build your faith upon the Bible. I urge you to study the Bible, because we're saved through the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. When are the dead resurrected, I ask you. Come on, can you not see that? At the second coming of Jesus. And so when does the millennium commence, I ask you. When Jesus returns, when the lightning of eternity strikes the rock of time when the lightning of eternity splits the rock of time, then, my friend, when Jesus returns, and the righteous are resurrected, then commences the great resurrection of the saints, and then Satan is bound for a thousand years in the Abusos, or the bottomless pit, and we will see this becomes the earth broken down. When Jesus comes a second time, When the millennium commences, there are at least four tremendously important events that take place that I want to refer to now. Number one, the resurrection of the righteous dead. Isn't that a great truth? The resurrection of the righteous dead. That even though it may be my fate to go down into the tomb, it is not my fate to stay there. Because the Bible says, he who has the Son has got life, and one day I'm going to rise from the tomb. Going to live again, to live again. Death be not proud. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, it describes the second great event, page 837. After that, we who are still alive and are left, They're the saints living on the earth. They're the survivors. The survivors of the great holocaust. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That's the term for the rapture. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now this is the text that is used to prove the secret rapture. I tell you, it is the noisiest verse in the Bible. The Lord comes back with a shout, the voice of the archangel. There's a trumpet blowing and dead people are getting up out of the cemeteries. People say, this is the proof of the secret rapture. I say some of the greatest saints of hell that idea. But it's not taught in the Bible. I can't resist telling you this. This may have to be edited out. It reminds me of the sign they hung up over the door of the blacksmith. All kinds of twistings and turnings done here. The text is as plain as day. Jesus comes back. The dead are resurrected. The dead in Christ are resurrected. And the living saints with the resurrected saints are caught up. And they don't spend the thousand years on this earth. This is, the Bible is an oriental book. And it talks about the saints by the term the bride. And for the wedding, you know what happened? The bride was taken to the Father's house for the celebration. We're not going to have the wedding or the honeymoon on the earth with the devil. We're going to have it with the Father in heaven. Amen. Hey, did you say hallelujah? Amen. Boy, you did say hallelujah. I heard it slip out. That's good, Bob. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, what did he say? I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The bride, listen to this, the bride is not staying down here. The bride is going to the Father's house. And if you're here on the earth during the millennium, you are in the wrong company. I want to tell you that. What else happens when Jesus comes back? The wicked are cast into the lake of fire. You say there is going to be a lake of fire when Jesus comes back. You better believe it. Come to two Thessalonians chapter one verses six to ten. Just over a few pages. Don't you love the Bible? Mm-hmm. Page eight thirty-seven, uh, two Thessalonians chapter one verses six to ten. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. My friend, he comes back in blazing fire. But did you know this? The fire that destroys the wicked translates the saints. Did you hear that? The fire that burns up the wicked translates the saints. He comes back in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. And from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. Listen very carefully to some things I'm going to tell you, because this is important and you'll understand all of this on the blackboard. The righteous go to heaven. The Bible makes it plain, the righteous go to heaven. The Bible tells me when Jesus comes back, the earth catches on fire. The glory that translates the saints consumes the wicked. And the earth becomes for a while a lake of fire and everything is destroyed. If you want to check up on this, read through Revelation 16. Not now, but in the last chapters of Revelation 16, it talks about the great earthquake. It talks about the islands being moved out of their places. It talks about the destruction of cities like Los Angeles. This little thing we had uh, 11 months ago or so of, what was it, 5 point something or 6 point something? That is nothing. There's coming an earthquake There's going to be a 50. There's coming a 50. Are you laughing about that? I just hope that you're saved. Then you can laugh about it. But everything in this world, the Bible says, the islands are going to move. The mountains are going to be moved out of their places. When we had that little thing a year ago, that little thing, Mount Boney moved, they said, about a foot north. The day is coming when Mount Boney is going to move a thousand miles out to sea. Everything is going to be destroyed and the earth is going to catch on fire and God is going to take the bride home to the Father's house. And this earth is going to become an uninhabited wilderness. This earth is going to become the Abusos. I want to tell you the person, I'm sorry, for the person who is putting all his attention and all his affections upon earthly things. A beautiful house and a beautiful car, it's great to have, but don't love it because soon it's going to be nothing. It's going to be put under the fire. Come over here to Jeremiah 4, verse 23 to 27, describes the earth during the millennium. Jeremiah 4. 23 to 27, page 537. Jeremiah 4, page 537. Verse 23, I looked at the earth. It was formless and empty, or the bottomless pit, the abusos. And at the heavens, and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. I looked, and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked, and the fruitful land was a desert. All the towns lay in ruins before the Lord, before His fierce anger." And this, of course, is ultimately a description of the earth during the millennium. A number of years ago, we visited a city in uh, South Australia out in the desert, which was called and still is called Radium Hill. It was a beautiful city they put millions and millions of dollars into Radium Hill because they'd found uranium there. But the uranium market collapsed. And they had a day when every person left the city. They just walked out of their homes. They walked out of the the supermarkets. The place was just closed down. We walked around that city. We had had lunch in 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 a shop, in the front of the shop. Nobody there. Nothing left. The day is going to come when this earth is going to be depopulated. The day is going to come when not a living human soul is going to be left on the face of this earth. The saints of God are going to be in glory, and the people who've heard the gospel, and who have rejected the gospel, and who have not walked according to the truth of the Bible, they're going to be here on the earth with the devil and with his angels. And the devil is going to be thrown down to this earth and the only company he's going to have are the evil spirits and the rotting corpses of the wicked. You say, well that's not me, I'm not a wicked person. The Bible says any person outside of Christ is put in the class of the wicked. Either you're righteous in Christ or else you're wicked. That's what the Bible teaches. I want to say this to you. The Bible teaches this, that either you and I are going to spend the millennium with the bride in the Father's house, or else we're going to spend it down here on this earth with the devil and his angels. And the choice is ours. And so the earth is completely broken down. It becomes a howling, uninhabited wilderness. And what happens at the close of the millennium? Come down to Revelation 20 and verse 7, and it tells you, This chapter helps you to understand the importance of getting to know God. Uh, Page 878, Revelation 20, verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. Now, how is he released? How is he released? You folks thinking today, how is he released, sister? The Bible says... The wicked are resurrected. How was he bound? By a chain of circumstances that he made for himself. He was bound because he had nobody to tempt. Because of his great apostasy, he discovers that the wages of sin are not elation, but damnation. And he's bound by a chain of circumstances in the bottomless pit. And after the thousand years, the Bible says the chains fall off. Because the wicked are now raised. And they're raised by the billions. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. And will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them for battle. In number they're like the sand on the seashore. I want to tell you folks this, listen very carefully, because I'm going to put something in here that I should have put in before, but it's okay. When Jesus comes back, what about the wicked there? Do they know anything about Jesus coming back? The Bible says the rest of the dead live not again. The wicked sleep undisturbed. They don't know anything about the resurrection. They don't know anything about Jesus coming back. And they sleep on and they wake up here. And when they wake up here, it would appear, are you listening to me? It would appear that they've been asleep for a second. Because when a person is resurrected, he's resurrected with the same thoughts that he died with. If you died thinking about God, you're resurrected thinking about God. If if you die with pornography in your mind, you're going to wake up with pornography in your mind. And you'll smell the sulfur. As we die, so we will be raised. And the Bible says their number is as the sand on the seashore. We have discovered a beautiful little spot at Malibu where you've got to pay a little to get in. Miles of beach. Hardly anybody knows about it. On occasions we go there to try to... I was going to say regain our sanity, but that wouldn't be right, to maintain our sanity. And if you take a handful of sand, there are thousands and thousands of grains. But the wicked come up as the sand on the seashore. Billions. Perish the idea that every person will be saved. Many are called and few are chosen. And somebody said, concerning the Christian church, many are called and few are frozen. And the frozen ones, the unchosen ones, are going to wake up here. For battle. This is the continuation of Armageddon. And the devil goes out and makes the greatest army in the history of the world. There will be Hitler, and Stalin, and Judas, and Pilate, who said, what is truth, who do you think you are, he will then know. Every man who has loved a lie, Every man who has followed a convenient religion, every man who has said Lord, Lord, but hasn't obeyed God, will wake up to discover that his religion was a pretense, a fig leaf to cover his nakedness. That's going to be a big getting up morning. But they don't come up immortal, but they come up as they died, with their same thoughts of rebellion. And Satan goes forth and marshals them into the biggest army in the history of the world. Why are they raised, you say? For judgment. You say, but why doesn't God just forget them? Because God is just. And if you and I do not allow Jesus Christ to take care of our sins, we will take care of ourselves in the judgment. And we will pay the price of rebellion ourselves. Jesus said, if these things are done in a green tree, what will be done in the dry? Revelation twenty eleven to 15 describes the last great judgment. And you're going to be there when this happens. I'll be there. We'll all be there. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was was found no place for them. Then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Ah, you say, what are these books? Are they books? I don't know if they're literal books. I think God has got better things than books if we've got computers. But there are records. Did you know that there is a record kept of every life that has been lived? There's a record of your life. There's only one thing that can expunge our sins, our faults and our follies, and that is the precious blood of Jesus. Mm. Books were opened. Another book was opened. Which is the book of life? Bless your heart. The book of life. Who gets his name in the book of life? A person who's confessed Christ. But these are people who are considered to be the wicked. And so this tells me, just because I confess Christ, it doesn't mean that I'm saved. There are many false professors. Many who are in the Jesus business, they're in it because they're in it. And it pays well. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done. It's recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that was in it. People lost at sea a thousand years ago. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Saved by grace, but judged by works. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You need to get your name in the book of life. The Bible says that you can get your name there, it can be blotted out. Did you know that? It says that in Revelation. You need to get your name there, and you need to keep your name there. Then what happens? Well, let me just give you a little fill-in. The Bible tells me, I won't write it all up, there's the resurrection of the wicked, the last great judgment takes place, Satan goes forth for the last great fling against God. I don't know how long this is going to take, we're not told, it may take some time. Maybe they're going to build atom bombs, hydrogen bombs, This is going to be a super army. The great generals are going to march in that army. Then the Bible says, the new Jerusalem comes down. Glory. The home of God's people. The people who were raised here, who've been with the Father. They're coming back. Marriage has taken place. They've had a good time in glory. And the new Jerusalem comes back. And inside the new Jerusalem, all of the saints of God. I want to be inside the city. Don't you? I don't want to be outside the city. But the city comes down and the wicked march up and they surround the city. Maybe they'll have nuclear weapons. And there are billions of them. And then there's a great judgment. Did you know, at that moment in time, if you and I never meet again, we will meet then. Every person who has ever lived is going to be there. Some inside and some outside. People inside will be able to look out and see people they knew. People outside will be able to look up to the walls and see Christ on the wall and standing with Him, loved ones and relatives. Do you want to know what hell is? That's hell. To stand outside and know there's no repentance. Oh, I wish I could get inside, people will cry out. Oh, I wish I could get inside. There is my wife. There are my children. but I spurned it all. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. Every person has ever lived. But the old rebellion hasn't died, and Satan, the arch-rebel, says, I can still win the kingdom of God for my sake. With the evil angels, he gives the command and Satan leads the battle charge. And the millions, the billions move over the face of the earth. March up to take the city. You say, why does God raise them? For judgment. Because if you and I do not give our sins to Christ, we will be punished for them ourselves. Sin must be punished either in Christ or in us. and He raises them to show to the universe that these people are still rebels. And if they could, they would shake God off his throne. Because sin is rebellion against God. And so they march up. Mighty armies. The greatest the world has ever seen. Led by the greatest commanders the world has ever seen. And then Jesus has the last word. Verse 7 and onwards, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number they're like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them, see they thought they were in the right. They thought they were in the right. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. You say, Pastor Carter, I was taught that the destruction of the wicked is instantaneous. No, it is not. You say, we don't believe in hell. I do. The term forever and ever as used, don't look it up now, in Isaiah chapter 34, does not mean a period without an end, but it means as long as life shall last. But the Bible talks about day and night And the fire is going to blaze, I don't know how long, but the fire, when it has consumed sin, sinners, Satan, and the angels, the fire goes out. Out. The fire goes out. The Bible says that Jonah was in the belly of the whale forever. That was three days and three nights. Forever means not unlimited duration. The fire goes out. And then the Bible says, this earth which has become the devil's cauldron, hell, sulfur, burning, and suffering. People say, but I was told if I just turn away from Christ, I'll be annihilated in a second. Don't count on it. The Bible says, when the last sinner has been destroyed, in fact, Alan White made the comment, and you'll be interested, my Adventist friends, she said that Satan lives on for days in the fire, and pays the price of rebellion, and at last is destroyed. Don't count on annihilation in a second. It's not going to happen. You say, but this is a sight of God I've never thought of. Think of it today. Our God is a God of love. Tremendous love. But he's also righteous.